Thank you for downloading this podcast from Bromley Town Church. We pray this message will refresh and encourage you. For further information about Bromley Town Church, you can go to our website, www.bromleytownchurch.com. Uh, hello, my name's John Stevens. Um, it is approximately two years since I first preached here in the church, and it is uh, approximately one year since I last preached here in the church. And uh, <clears throat> the reason that I haven't, hadn't spoken for a year, um, Jonathan and I came to an agreement that whilst I delivered in that year sermons which were rich in intellect and wit and insight and humility, that's my one, that's my one joke for the sermon. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, yeah, though I delivered sermons for a year, there was a, there was a point of a plateau that had been reached. And this was because um, in my own life, there hadn't necessarily been the, the, been the breakthroughs that one would be expecting. And so there's like a level at which you can continue to speak, um, uh, but, but, but there's, like, there was a, a level of, there was like a breakthrough that needed to come to to kind of advance further with the preaching. So we agreed that I'd take a break, and hopefully in that year of, of, uh, of you know, of continuing to pursue reading the Bible and prayer, that that, that would kind of give a, they would, I would have a breakthrough and then could come back and speak. And, um, and that's what happened. But the reason I saw breakthrough in my life, uh, uh, what happened, I had a, there was a period where I, where, where I, didn't progress with God. In fact, there was a retreat, and this was, co- this was caused by unforgiveness coming into my heart. And so I, there, was a, there, was, there was a lack of progress being made with God due to that. And then God called me back to himself via the, via the teaching in Achievers, an extraordinary thing, teaching 18-month-old children about Jonah also spoke to me, and I was called back to God. And then a month after being called back to God, uh, my wife uh, had an 18-week miscarriage and we delivered a dead baby in, in, in the hospital. And, uh, and, and this gave me breakthrough because I was able to lean on God, having been, having been called back to him a month previously. Uh, I was then able to completely lean on him in the face of by far the most difficult thing I had ever gone through in my life and hope ever to go through. And, uh, and so I was called back to him and sustained by him. And that, therefore, gives me the qualification and the authority to speak this morning on the subject of the glory of God revealed through suffering and hardship. And I speak not, I speak, obviously I speak to you, but I speak also to the principalities and the powers and to God Almighty above. And this is my testimony of the greatness of God Revealed through seeing his glory through hardship and suffering. And obviously, that's an ideal topic to fit into a sermon of 25 minutes to half an hour. So I'm not going to touch on too much, um, but I've got about three points and I'm going to pray now. Heavenly Father, you are the Almighty One. It is your word, O God, that brings freedom to the captives. It's you that brings sight to the blind. Lord, it's you who, who rescue those in captivity, Lord, and bring hope to those in despair. We pray that you would speak through me this morning 
and that you would draw close to us for your word. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. So I've got three points. Um, the first one is about the covenant with God. Um, and I'll move into that because I haven't got, obviously, much, too much time to, to delay. Okay, so we had some sermons about the covenant from Jonathan this year. And uh, God, God has formed covenant relationships a number of times. There's like three or four in the Old Testament, as far as I know. And we consider ourselves to be in a, a new covenant or a renewed covenant, depending on theology. But we're in covenant relationship with God. And a covenant is a, is a strong binding treaty between two parties. Um, and, and quite often, Jonathan kind of gave us examples of how two tribes would come together, and there might be a weaker tribe and a stronger tribe, so the Gibeonites covenanted to the Israelites somewhere in the Old Testament, you'll remember that. Um, and the stronger tribe and the weaker tribe, they'd come together, and they would each, they'd have terms that they pledged to one another. So it would be, uh, my army will come and fight for you. Um, if someone attacks you, they'll be attacking me. I'll come and fight for you. And, and they, would, they might take each other's names and they might exchange their cloak to show that this was a strong binding agreement. And uh, if the terms of this covenant were met, the terms of the agreement, then neither party would break it. So it would be the firmest kind of agreement that one could have with each other. We remember this. I'm only refreshing the things you know about the covenant, and if you don't, it'd be wise to research it. Um, maybe there are podcasts. There are podcasts of Jonathan's sermons, which you could come back and listen to, because they were excellent. Um, and, and, we're, and we're covenanted to God. Um, and I think the thing, which, the thing which kind of strikes me about the, about the covenant, and this is the thing, because what, what, I'm, what I'm going to talk about here is uh, forgiveness, Forgiveness of other people through our covenant relationship with God. That's what I'm going to talk about. It's forgiveness of other people through the covenant relationship with God. And one of the ideas which I, which I clung to myself after Jonathan spoke was this idea that when you're in a covenant, because we we're in covenant with God, we have a binding relationship with him, uh, we are significantly weaker than he is. He made the mountains and lowered the valleys. He caused the sea to part with his, with his breath. We struggle to change a fuse in a plug or something like that. We're, there's a significant, you know, it's a significant disparity between us. And we're in covenant with him. And I, what I really liked, Jonathan said, and this, this kind of sticks to me, is this idea that within the covenant, you could have an awesomely powerful army and a very weak and small army, and they would come. And they would say, I'm bringing my weapons. So my weapons might be like a pea shooter, and you're going to bring your weapons, which are thermodynamic nuclear missiles, and we're going to bring those and exchange them, and I can call on you, as a smaller party, I can call on you to assist me in times of trouble. This is the idea, this exchange of weapons, and I, that idea was, was very, very helpful to me when I, was, when I was kind of going through this unforgiveness, forgiveness situation. I think the thing about the covenant relationship, which I want to, which I want to touch on, is this, really, that you see... You, you, see, uh, you see more of your covenant relationship with God in times of hardship. Because if you don't need the stronger partner to come and fight for you, then you don't see him in, you don't see him in action. It's like Israel, the, you know, the first, after their covenant with Israel, the first battle Israel effectively faced 
is that they were ne there was a small number of them with no chariots next to a sea, and they couldn't go anywhere, and a vast number of chariots from the world's most powerful empire coming towards them. And that was a no-win situation, and God made a way for them. And, and it's, so it's through their weakness that they were able to see the greatness of God. And so if you're not, if you're not cornered and unable to fight for yourself, you won't need God to come and fight for you. So in many ways, in order for you to see the greatness of God to come and fight for you, you need to have hardship because you won't see his greatness. You won't see the awesomeness of his army unless you're exchanging yours for his because you have no other way out. You understand the point I'm making? You understand the point I'm making? And so the thing about this, the thing about forgiveness, the thing about forgiveness, I read an article in The Guardian, which is a terrible newspaper that none of you should read, and they were talking about, they were claiming that forgiveness, that forgiveness was not just something that religion could lay claim to, but it was a long-standing, a long-standing quality which communities throughout time had, had appreciated. And forgiveness is about, like, you've done something to offend me, but I need you in order to exist in community with you, so I'm going to have to overlook that, and we're going to have to find a way to work together. That's kind of the idea of forgiveness. And I suppose in some ways, you could say that this was possible without without religion or without, or without God, you could say that. But, you see, the, the type of forgiveness I'm talking about is something, it's like, a, it's a wound in you that, that impacts your thinking in such a way, this thing that's done to you, it impacts your thinking in such a way that every time you think about this thing, you're incredibly bitter. And it's not about... It's not about you finding a way to live in harmony with someone about this. It's because you've been wounded in such a way that your entire thoughts and the way you are as a person has been affected by this. And we can't. There are things which people do to us which we cannot forgive them for, which we cannot remake our thinking about. That's what I'm talking about. Um, there are things which people do to you which you can't just overlook and get on with them in, this, in the sense of beneficiary. And the reason I say this is because this is the reason that I had moved away from God for a period. Because if you have, if someone has wounded you in such a way that, you can own, that you're, just, like you're just full of bitter, angry thoughts about that person, that's not what we're called to be as Christians. And that's going to damage our walk with God. And yet, at the same time, we can't necessarily forgive them. And that's when, that's when God's healing can come. It's when we surrender our ability to forgive. Because there are things that you can forgive people for. You could forgive someone at work for stealing your stapler without asking, because you need to get on with them. But there are things you can't forgive people for. And I think the thing which, like the example that kind of strikes me about this, is um, I look, Millie Dowler... That the killer of Millie Dowler was found guilty earlier this year, and um, they, were, they, were, they were talking a lot about things which had gone on in the trial, which weren't fair on the family, this kind of thing, which is why it was on the news. But I heard Millie Dowler's mother and sister interviewed afterwards, and they were bloodthirsty, and they were not able to forgive what had been done for them, and they were full of revenge, and they were wishing that this man, Levi Belfield, would be tortured and killed in prison. They were full of revenge, full of revenge for what had been done to them. And then I, I contrasted this with, uh, with, with uh, Michael Walker. He was, a, he, was a, he was a young man who was killed in Liverpool in a racist murder. He was attacked with an axe by a footballer named Joey Barton. It was his brother that killed this 
killed this boy. And the family publicly forgave the killers of Michael Walker and said that through God they would be able to forgive him and he would heal their thought processes, that they would, that they would be able to forgive. And I just the contrast of these two things, because as a Christian, there's no room for us to be in unforgiveness. You cannot remain in unforgiveness. I'm telling you that from my own life. If there's, if bitter, if there's bitterness towards someone else in your life, you're not going to progress with God. We're commanded by God to fix our thoughts on things of above and good things and things which are lovely and pure. This is what we're commanded to fix our thoughts on. We're not to fix, fixate on bitterness and anger. So we have to forgive people. We have to forgive people. And there are things that we can't do that. So this is about our surrender to God. It's about our surrender of our ability to God. And I can testify to you that in doing that, God can come and heal wounds in us. And the thing, I guess the thing I want to say is that we know about God's ability to forgive. Uh, he, we know that he forgave us for our sins. But he, again, has the ability to extend that forgiveness to us and allow people to forgive those who have hurt us. And that comes in surrendering our forgiveness. And so, in many ways, the best sight you'll ever see of God's ability to to forgive will come if somebody wounds you in such a way that you cannot forgive them and therefore you, you just lay your powers down and surrender that. Okay? So, point number one... What number one? No matter how big the wound, if we surrender in our covenant relationship with God, we will see his extraordinary forgiveness in a way that we wouldn't before. Okay, so that's point number one. Um, Point number two. Okay, so um, point number two uh, moves on to... uh, We called our baby Emmanuel. We called our baby Emmanuel. Um, they They were not yet male or female, so we don't really know whether they were male or female, but we called our baby Emmanuel because we knew that God was with us at the time. We, we felt his peace and we knew that he was closer to us than ever before. Um, so we called our baby Emmanuel. And the day after Emmanuel uh, was, was, was delivered, or it occurred, shall we say, um, Stella, Stella and I, I had to go home and was at home and Stella was in the hospital and We'd both read our Bibles, and Stella was reading in Psalms. And um, Psalm 66, verse 10, I'm only going to read one verse, so you don't have to turn to it in your Bible. You write it down if you're writing down. Um, Psalm 66, verse 10, you have tested us, O God, you have purified us like silver. So definitely, the sense that this was God's direct word speaking to us. And, and the second part, I just want to look a bit at this idea of, this idea of being purified like silver. And tested. There's another verse in the Psalms that says about um, about purified like silver, and I'm going to turn to it. And it's Psalms 12, verse 6, and this talks about the Lord's the Lord's promises are pure, like silver refined in a furnace, purified seven times over. And again, that's just one verse, so you don't need to turn to it. But um, so I, this is the, this is the time in your sermon that you, at home, that you would look up how silver was purified so you could bring some facts about that for everyone, but I haven't done that. But the idea of silver being purified, as far as I can tell, and I'm not a scientist, but as far as I can tell with this clay furnace thing, is that to make metals and things like that, there's an ore 
And uh, that's a form of, of silver, but it's got impurities and such on it. And to get the impurities out of the silver, you heat them in a crucible, in a furnace, and it melts. You melt the silver at an extraordinarily high temperature to melt it, and the impurities come off. And some of the impurities which are found with silver or are chlorine and something else, that's the one thing I did research. But So you heat it to get the impurities off, and the Lord's promises, which are pure, have been purified seven times. So they're heated to, um, to allow the to allow the impurity to come off. Um, so that's, that's, what, that's what this is talking about here. And um, I suppose the thing I want to say is really, um, God's glory is going to be revealed through our reshaping, and through the transformation that occurs in us. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27, which you'll know, says that God chose the weak and the foolish to shame the strong and the wise. So I find a slightly difficult verse to come to terms with, given I don't consider myself foolish in any way. I consider myself to be quite wise. But, uh, but apparently not. Apparently not. Uh, but, but, but the idea is, but the idea is, with us, with the church, that God took the foolish and the weak of the world and he's going to shape them and make them to shame the powerful in the world and the wise in the world. Now, now, now putting, these, putting these two things together, you know, I, I, I have this sense that everything that's ever occurred does so to speak to the glory of God before the principalities and powers. That might not be a direct verse from the Bible, but this is the sense I have, that everything that occurs is going to testify of the glory of God. Because God's purpose in itself is to bring glory to himself. This is God's purpose. And God is allowed to have that purpose. It's not boastful. He's allowed to exist purely to display his own glory because he is God. And he is worthy of all glory and praise because he is awesome and completely splendid. And, and us, it's like, and the, so the purpose of him calling us is to remake us and to reshape us. And we also will testify of his glory. That's our purpose. And he chose particularly ugly, weak, stupid people, apparently. But uh, not looking at you while I say that. Um, that's any of you. But this is, this is what he said. He took particularly weak, stupid, and he's going to craft them into something beautiful and pure that speaks of his greatness. But the way he does that is by taking them and putting them in an extraordinarily hot furnace to burn off the impurities. You know, and when you, like, when you go through, when we went through a time of extraordinary difficulty, you start to see the, the pointlessness and the triviality of the number of things that we, that we kind of, that we enmesh ourselves in with the world. The number of unimportant things and ridiculous interests and obsession that we have and that we allow to become more important to us than God. And it's in a time of trouble and shaking and pressure and, and being in a furnace that these impurities start to come away. The impurities are burned off the silver in the furnace because they have a higher evaporation point or a higher melting point than, than the silver itself. So it's heated and like the the impurities are like evaporated away. And the same thing happens to us under pressure. 
Because, because when, when we were in a time of hardship, having thought we were going to have a baby and then the baby was dead and then what? Knowing, knowing a lot about football or knowing that we have a television, or knowing that I can cook a really good apple pie, or whatever. These things are not important. In that, What's important in that moment is knowing that God is, like, that God is with you. And so it's like the unimportant things are removed from us. The impurities are removed. And what remains is what's important. And like the purification of the silver... The chlorine is evaporated and whatever the other impurities are evaporated. And what remains is the silver. And that's what God wants. God is going to shape that silver into something beautiful that will speak to all eternity of his great glory and craftsmanship from taking something so weak and foolish and making it beautiful to declare before all that his glory. But that process for us involves going into a furnace, involves being under extraordinary pressure and from seeing these impurities that we comfort ourselves with, being evaporated and not mattering. This year, on a, you know, around a similar time, we sold our television. We sold our television, which had become an idol for us. And we, we need to get these impurities, these things, which have, these things which have... You know, we are weak and foolish, as the Bible says. There are these things which are, like a ta- which are not what God wants. God wants pure, like silver. And the truth is, if it takes hardship for us to see how unimportant these things are to us. That's all for the best, because these things are to reveal the glory of God. These things are to reveal the glory of God. So the second way in which God's glory is revealed through hardship and suffering is that we are being purified in the furnace, and our impurities are being removed by the incredible heat and the pressure. And we will be remoulded into something that speaks of God's greatness before the principalities and powers and all of creation. That's point two. Uh, point three, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 12. I'm not going to read it. I can write it down. And um, <clears throat> I want to sound trivial, but there are two uh, dead baby passages in the Bible which are, very, which are very popular for people who have lost a child. Psalm 136 talks about how God knew you in your mother's womb, which is of, which is of great comfort to you, to anyone who's, who's lost a baby. And this second one is 2 Samuel chapter 12. And 2 Samuel chapter 12 comes when Nathan comes to speak to David after he's taken Bathsheba from Uriah the Hittite. And it's arranged for Uriah the Hittite to be murdered in battle. And Nathan comes and challenges David, and he, uh, he tells a, like a metaphor story about how there was one man who had lots of animals and one man who had one tiny lamb. And the man with lots of animals saw the lamb and wanted the lamb and arranged for the lamb to be taken from the man. And David says, uh, this, is a, this is a terrible thing, this man should be punished. And Nathan says, this man is you, you had all, you had many wives, and you saw one man's wife, and you wanted that wife, and then you killed that man to take that wife. Um, and then he says, your baby's going to die. The baby that you had with Bathsheba, when you got her pregnant, that baby's going to die, this is what God says. And uh, David goes, the baby gets sick, 
And David goes into a period of mourning and praying and fasting. And then the baby, the baby dies. And, um, and then the servants are afraid to tell David. And David says, what well, I'm going to read out when I turn to this bit of my Bible. And David says, eventually they tell. Okay, here we are. On the seventh day the child died. David's advisors were afraid to tell him. He wouldn't listen to reason while the child was ill, they said. What drastic thing will he do when we tell them the child is dead? When David saw them whispering, he realised what had happened. Is the child dead, he asked. Yes, they replied, he is dead. Then David got up from the ground, washed himself, put on lotions and changed his clothes. He went to the tabernacle and worshipped the Lord. And then David says to his servants, I fasted and wept while the child was alive. Or perhaps the Lord will be gracious to me and let the child go. But why should I fast when he is dead? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him one day, but he cannot return to me. And this brings comfort. This brings comfort to us, and we cling on to this because of this verse, uh, I will go to him, which basically says that David believes he will see his child again in heaven. I will go to him. I'll see him in paradise. And this brings great comfort to us. And we were... Stella and I both praise God that we feel he spoke to us about the idea that we'll see our baby again in heaven as a family and that will be a wonderful thing. A wonderful thing. And we praise him for that. But it's not that which I necessarily want to look at here. It's, it's that David's response to being told the baby was dead was to go into the tabernacle and worship God. Now, now I need to get my words right here. There's, there's something about this. There's something about this story, which spoke to me in a different way. I'd read the story before. Something about this which spoke to me in a different way. Now, the hard, the hard things that we all go through. We, uh, we, we believe. We, we understand that God allowed those things to happen to us. We understand that, and we quite often say. Um, like, the, you know, the Lord, the Lord, I don't know why the Lord's allowed this to happen, but I'll cling on to him in faith. That's kind of an understanding. I don't know why this is happening to me, but I'll cling on to the Lord in faith. And that's a great thing to do because we're clinging on to the Lord in faith. But there's something else which happened here, which is that David was told as a result of his sin that his son was going to die. So he actually knew exactly what was happening to him here. He knew exactly what was happening to him here, which was... Uh, I'm being punished for something I've done wrong, which is quite a different. God is punishing me for something I've done wrong. It's quite a different position to be in than I don't know why God is doing this to me, but I trust him. They're quite different. You can see that's quite, they're quite different positions. And David's response is to go in and worship God when he hears the baby. He goes and worships God. I don't know that I can say for myself, because I didn't lose a baby as a result of a punishment from God. I know that. Like, I, that, I know that. That's not what happened to Stella and I. And, but I just... Like the, this level of faith and, and relationship with God that causes you when you've just been... He's told his son is being killed as a punishment by God. And David's response is to worship God because he worships. He worships the justice of God. He knows that this was a righteous just like he knows this was a righteous judgment. 
The things that, it's, you know, it, and there's, there's not a questioning from David. There's no, like, he pleads with God to change his mind. But when God doesn't change his mind, he worships him because he recognises that what God did was the right thing and that what he did was just. And I, basically, I, I, like, I, we, I aspire to this. I aspire to this level of worship from David that it's like his worship of God, his response to this thing happening, which seems... It would be understandable for you to not want to worship God after he killed your child. We can see that. We can see, it would, that would be understandable. There are things which make it difficult for us to worship God in our lives now. There are hardships we have which make it difficult for us to worship God because we can't necessarily reconcile how we feel with God. Here... It's complete clarity of what's happened and David goes to worship God. And I think, you know, I just, I pray that this would be us. Because there's, a, there's obviously an understanding here for David that God is never wrong. He's never wrong. Everything he does is right. All his judgments are pure. No matter how they affect us, no matter what he chose to do with us, he is still praiseworthy. This, like, this, is a, this is a very deep level of worshipping no matter what happens to you. Which I think this is it's, it's an extraordinary example for all of us. And I just pray that we would know God this well. That we would know God so well that if he did come and say, actually, you've sinned here and you're going to be punished for this, that we, can, we would worship his judgment and his fairness and his justice and his wisdom and his righteousness and his holiness. Um, so, yeah. So that's something for, for us to aspire to. I, um, they're, my, uh, they're my three points. Um, that's half an hour, brilliant. Um, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray um, as we finish, and then, we're gonna, then we'll sing another song. Um, can we sing All Glory again? But, but I'll pray now. Heavenly Father, you are righteous, Lord. You are holy. You are just in all things. God, we, we know that you reign over all things, that all things are happen according to your purposes and your will, God. We pray, would you help us to humble ourselves to come in line with that, Lord, would you? Make us worshippers of you. We pray, Lord, through the storms of life and the trials and the difficulties, oh God, we pray that we would cling on to you. We pray that you would strengthen us by your word and make us resolute. God, we want to be those who, no matter what the circumstances, come and praise you and worship you for who you are. God, we pray, would you be with us and bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions or you're after more information about Bromley Town Church, do visit our website, www.bromleytownchurch.com.